My name is Stephen Moore and I'm the presenter of the Your Law Firm Success podcast. This podcast explores the routes to law firm success. We chat to those who have done it, those who are doing it, and those who help law firms do it. This podcast is brought to you by MLT Digital, the leaders in law firm success. My guest today on the Your Law Firm Success podcast is Andy Poole from Armstrong Watson. Andy, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for agreeing to come on. So you're the first accountant that we've had on the Your Law Firm Success podcast. Can you tell me a wee bit about you, what you do, and why you're interested in law firm success? Yeah, thank you, Stephen, and uh, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, delighted to, to be here, delighted to be the first accountant. And uh, you know, my, my role formally is the Chief Operating Officer at Armstrong Watson. We're a top 30 UK firm of, of accountants. But for, for nearly 20 years now, all I've done is advise lawyers in terms of my day job, my client-facing job. So I'm, I'm the legal sector partner at Armstrong Watson. And, and what that entails is advising law firms in terms of trying to make themselves better businesses. So it's not just the accounting side, but it's also the corporate finance side, it's the strategic side, it's the training side. And because I've been so immersed in the legal sector for the last 20 years, I actually feel more like a lawyer than I do an accountant. And so how did you end up drawing the short straw? And it's going back, actually, I can't take too much credit for it. It's going back to my previous firm, actually, where we were part of a, an international alliance where the, the, the partner said I wasn't a partner, I was a, a director. And the, the partners actually looked at this and, and said, we've seen another firm specialising in professional services and it works really well for them can you do the same sort of thing then and i looked at it and said well yeah i can see a route through there i can see how it helps to differentiate us because not only can we do that sort of accounting work efficiently and effectively and more knowledgeably but we should then be able to do extra things over and above what other accountants that don't specialize would be able to do in terms of helping the law firms to improve their businesses but the one tweak i did make was to say well i'll do it but i'll only do it if i can niche even further so it's not just the professional services businesses it's the legal sector in particular and and i think once you do that you then become well known hopefully you become famous within a sector because you've niched the niche and 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 it's far easier to be able to hopefully get that track record within the sector learn more about the sector but also make it easier so actually what i find now is that that law firm clients are coming to me rather than me having to go out to them, which is a nice place to be, but you've got to make sure that you back that up with actual deliverable successes to your clients. I mean, I suppose it's parallels with our own service and, you know, we specialise in digital marketing, online business generation, but for the legal sector, I mean, we will sometimes do pieces of work if we get referred that work, but never go out looking for it. And how have you found or how did you find, how were you received initially by... Lawyers, I mean, lawyers can be quite uh, sceptical or sceptical and a wee bit, in, you know, traditionally a bit suspicious about others from other sectors. I, I think they can, but I think they also look for a track record. And, and, and quite often when I go to speak to a law, lawyer about something, hopefully the knowledge comes through because you can, you can talk the things that are happening within the section becomes abundantly clear why you're different. Um, but... I think the usual question coming back is, how many other law firms have you done this for? What's your track record? Or when I try to refer in somebody else that might be able to provide a service, such a, as, as an IT consultant or business developer or, or, or the sort of work that, that you do, the first question to come back with is, how many other law firms does that that uh, does that provider act for? Who have they done it before? Before, Because they don't want to be the guinea pig. 
And that then almost reinforces the benefits of the specialization because the more specialist you are, the more you've done, the more you've got that track record to be able to, to prove that. Yeah, that's a fair point. You know, we definitely get that a lot. It just sometimes raises questions around competition. Um, the, the types of firms that you work with, are they all sizes? Yeah, I mean, it's because of the specialism, it's, it's, it's UK wide. Um, in fact, we're getting a, a few international mergers of late. We're, we've been acting for a, a couple of firms out towards the, the Middle East. Um, we're acted for a US firm coming into, into the UK to an Australian firm coming into the UK. Um, so it's becoming increasingly wide geographically, um, but certainly the whole of the UK is, 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 is our bread and butter. Um, and it's all types, all sizes of firms. Um, we don't tend to get into sort of the magic circle firms. Um, you know, I wouldn't look to be aiming at, at those sort of things. But, you know, if you're looking from top 50 law firms all the way through to sole practitioners um, is, is where, where we're at. All right, good. And on that basis, you will have seen firms who've been very successful, um, firms that have been less so what would your definition be of law firm success? I think it's a really, really difficult one. Um, I mean, it's it's going to be different for each and every law firm. Um, usually, it's down to achieving the objectives of, of the law firm owners themselves, but, but that depends on those law firm owners having clear, agreed objectives themselves, which which actually I find is, is pretty rare. Others might set out a, a purpose. Um, so, you know, for example, our quest is to help our clients achieve prosperity, secure future and peace of mind. And, and it sort of rolls off the tongue for us because that, that's ingrained in, in what we do. And therefore, all of our tests of whether we're meeting our objectives, whether we are being successful is, is based on that on that quest. But in order to define that, you need to be able to see what measurables there are. Um, so you know, a, few, a few things that, that we like to, to see and include there are things like client advocacy, net promoter scores, employee feedback scores, employee retention rates, you know, maybe instructional growth rates. So there's got to be some kind of measurable to be able to see what success looks like, but that's got to be set against what are our objectives. You know, beyond that, you tend to fall back on things like the income or profit per equity partner. And that might work for some, but it's pretty crude in terms of, of the, uh, the the measures and they're quite broad brush and, and they might actually hide quite a multitude of symptoms. So we might be doing quite well from a fee income growth perspective, but actually our employee feedback isn't very good or our retention isn't very good and actually we're not hitting our objectives as, as owners because we're not contributing to society or we're not contributing to um, uh, our corporate social responsibility etc so I think to start with you've got to make sure that you must define that success for yourselves at a broad level so you're setting your vision your values and then you start to, to, to come up with the measurements to see are we actually hitting it so you know some of our listeners might be surprised to learn that as an accountant, you're not starting straight away from the point of view of turnover, gross profit, net profit, etc. You're starting with something that's softer. And for a lot of firms, certainly smaller firms, that can be something that's seen as sort of woolly nonsense, the purpose side of things. But do you see that as being a sort of initial and sort of fundamental bedrock upon which everything else can be built or placed? Yeah, I, I think it has to. I think it's actually becoming more and more important. And I think more law firms of whatever size are starting to buy into the fact that it is so fundamentally important. Because particularly if you, if you look at um, 
the different generations of people that are working within law firms. And they're typically, they've got different traits. And, and the younger generation coming through are all about wanting to make sure that they, they've they got an alignment of interests with the business that they work for so that they've got this, this purpose. They've got, we understand where we are. And then if you look back to the last couple of years where there have been so many recruitment issues within the legal section in particular, one of the solutions to recruitment issues is getting your culture right. It's getting the working environment It's getting your vision. It's getting your values right so that people can differentiate, not just on the paper, but in terms of how does that look and feel to me? And that's why you need to be thinking a lot more. You know, as, as, as people, businesses, it can't just be around the numbers. The numbers are there as, as metrics, are there as measures to see whether we're hitting our successes. But actually, that could be, as I say, more around our net promoter score. It could be around our client feedback scores rather than around our being. So the metrics that you're looking at um, vary depending upon the purpose of the firm, whether or not it's defined one or not. And because some will have a very you know, purpose-driven law firm where money, as you see, isn't everything. And in fact, having a good work-life balance, uh, liking the clients that you work with is more important, whereas others, it will be much more about um, leverage, fee earner income, but that if you want to attract, what you're seeing is that if, if you want to attract talent and you want to attract the right type of talent, then you need to be quite clear on what your values are, because otherwise you can end up with a number of people who are out of sync. Yeah, absolutely. And then that, that sends, not not just in terms of issues around retention, that, that sends mixed make messages out to the, your target market because you should be communicating to your target market this is who we are this is what we stand for this is what we're all about and everything we do should tie in around that you know so we, we should be communicating that vision but we should be communicating why that vision why those values are important to 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 you as as clients of, of our business and if you've got different people coming into your business that are actually operating in a completely different way well that just rides rides roughshod roughshod all over what you're standing for and therefore your client re relationships will suffer as well. So, you know, it's really important to have that, that alignment and therefore it's not just a matter of having, you know, these, this vision, these values, you know, as, put, as, as maybe four or five words or put upon on the, around the offices, it's got to be something that you live, eat and breathe. There's got to be measures around making sure we are doing that. There's got to be encouragement. You've got to recruit on that basis. You've got to appraise on that basis. You've got to do something about it if people aren't behaving in line with with what you want them actually to to achieve. So there's a lot more to it than that. Um, so it's a, it's a bigger picture, and there's a lot of investment of time required to make sure you get that right. And that's really interesting. I think, um, given as I say, you know, we, we talked on that briefly, and I know that Armstrong Watson offer a whole range of consultancy services to law firms. When you are beginning to work with law firms, I'm thinking of you know a pyramid with the top the top being culture and then you work down at what point do you actually begin to discuss the financial metrics with a firm in that service because the discussion we're having is sort of opposite to I think what people might think one would have with an accountant about law firms they think they'd start with the numbers but in fact we're starting a bit with some somewhere completely different mm -hmm. There's a few different areas, and, and as you're right, we, we, we do consult on this, and that there's various 
information on this out in the public domain. People will be able to, to Google it, buy books and, and read it and, and, and take it for themselves if, if they want to as well. But, you know, going down in the order of things that, that we tend to look at, um, we, we mirror uh, the principles of the, the EOS principles in the Gino Whitman book of, of traction. So we, we start off with the vision, the sort of things we've talked about already. Um, what is our vision? What's our purpose? You know, what do we, we stand for? What do the values look like, et cetera? We need to define and work on that. Then we move into people and we need to make sure we've got the right people with the right skill set, with the right approach, with the right values that match with what we're doing, that, that also match with the roles that we're asking them to, to undertake. We need to make sure people have got those skills. And, and not so often you've got people that are heads of department, for example, that are heads of department because they've either been there the longest or that their billing is, is the highest. Um, rather than having the skill set to develop people, to train people, having this strategic outlook to almost picture themselves as a mini managing partner of that particular team with the responsibility and the accountability to be able to make that drive, to win the work, to be able to put the processes in place that, that, that would enable people to shine. So it's then about the people. Then we start to think about, well, what do those people need to do? So it's the process. It, it's thinking about how do we want people to work? Who's going to do what, what, what work? And what tools are we going to use? What are the systems? What are the controls? What are the ability to be able to make us more efficient? So what automation can we bring in, et cetera? So still, you've gone through all of that before starting to define and look at the numbers. The next thing down for me then is, is, is what we'd call the data. Now, that's when you start to get to the numbers because you've got to start to define, based on all of those things, what are the appropriate measures of success? And, and almost having this principle of everybody has a number. Um, in some cases, everybody has a series of numbers, but making people understand why they're the appropriate numbers, not just reporting your P&L, not just reporting your balance sheet, but distilling that down into key performance indicators in terms of how efficient am I being? What am I being tasked with doing? But against a backdrop of what an expectation might be. So you're then reporting that as part of a scorecard for people to be able to, to self-improve themselves. So it's only at that stage that we start to look at the numbers Beyond that, we then start to look around the management structure in order to be able to make sure where we're setting objectives and we're setting tasks, are we actually going to get them done? And that brings you back to the word traction, um, which is the title of the, the Gino Wickman book that, that covers all of this. And you know, I, I think it's, a, it's an amazing book. It's an amazing management principles that enable you to have alignment right the way across the organization, tying that right the way back into your vision so that everything's aligned around all of your tasks, all of your prioritization, all of the big ticket things you're going to invest in are all structured around making sure that you have that success that we started with in terms of what's the difference between su success or not, et cetera. So it, it's something that enables you to, to, to cover all of those things. So I'd encourage people to go out and, and read the book. They'd be a hugely valuable in investment of time. That, mm -hmm. I mean, we've talked a bit about vision, which is at the top, you know, and that's at the top of your pyramid. And then we move on to people and we spoke about this before and that unlike a lawyer, you know, a lawyer, you know, quite often a technician, you know, they start off as a technician and then they can move into management type roles as a result. And as you were, as you were mentioning, um, the personality might be the wrong fit. They are very good at being the technician or the fear. And that does not necessarily mean that they're going to be a good manager of people know that they'd know that they'd want to be you know i found this myself over the course of the past maybe two years having 
established a, a digital marketing agency having, you know, like 12 or 13 years ago, having actually never been in one. And we were able, using enthusiasm and results and um, encouragement and networking to grow the business to a particular point before it then stalled. And it's only really in recent times after having brought in a managing director that I've now understood how important it is to have the entrepreneurial aspect or the technician aspect combined with, I think, what Gino Wickman refers to as being an integrator. Um, can we talk a bit more about, about that? Because I think, you know, I think the, ho the whole people side of things is probably the most difficult but to implement, but also the easiest for one to get one's head around. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're right. You know that that word integrator is in there. It, it's very important. It, it's an extension of what I said earlier in terms of, you know, having the right people, the right skills, tasked with doing the right things in order to be able to, to move your organisation forward. And you know, the, there's an extension of that in the Traction book. You've got the principle of a visionary and an integrator. So essentially, that could be typically as a chief executive might be the visionary. A chief operating officer might be the integrator. And actually, if I look at our own business, we've got Paul Dixon as, as, as the chief exec. We've got me as the chief operating officer. And actually, we do work together quite well in, in, in terms of that because Paul's got huge strategic visionary skills. And I'm quite a detailed person, actually. You know, Although I might be starting with a vision here and looking at that, but actually, I am inherently a detailed person. I make sure things happen. I make sure things get done. And therefore, I'm probably the integrator. So it's about the teaming up of those skills and having the right mix of the skills. So the visionary is there to be able to to enable the, the, the entire business to be following them, to buy into the dream, to be able to say, well, where do we want this business to be and how are we going to get there? And looking at the big picture strategic angles, but they might not necessarily have the right skills to be able to say, well, if that's where we want to get to, that's great, but how are we going to get there? And it's the how we're going to get there that you then need somebody like an integrator to be able to come in and, and actually deal with that detail to make sure that we've we've got the ability to be able to achieve the vision. Um, and that's why it needs to be a team, because very rarely do you get people with the, all of those skill sets. And even if they have, they're pulled in so many different directions, it's impossible for them to achieve everything. So again, it sounds like you've been on that journey yourself, where you're probably trying to be all of those things. And if you realized, I need to bring somebody in to be able to do the bits that I'm not necessarily the best at. And that then enables the growth. It enables the you to achieve your growth am ambitions. And it also reminds me of another book, which uh, you know we discussed previously as well, which is the the E Myth, um, which is another good book for for people to read if if you've not done so already, where it talks about how you might be able to get a business to expand. And if you're too reliant on certain individuals in order for for the business to succeed, then you're never going to be able to grow. You're never going to be able to let go. So again, you need to be able to make sure that's when it ties then back into the processes and how do we actually do things? How are things done around here? So you've got a blueprint for this is what we do so that you can then roll that out to other people as well. So that you, you need that combination to be able to let go. It can't just be about the visionary and the integrator and making sure it's all reliant on those two key individuals. In the e-myth, which I found you know pretty interesting, they talked about um, the technician, the entrepreneur and the manager which are sort of similar in terms of roles and understanding that when you start off in business, you are essentially performing all three. But there's going to become a point quite quickly where you understand, well, actually, 
I'm more suited or I get more strength from or I am better at being entrepreneurial, being the visionary, rather than what you described, which is the integrator, the operator, more of the manager to make th- to make sure that things actually get done while the technicians are actually doing, you know, they're on the tools, they're doing the work. Um, and I suppose what you know what what's quite interesting if you're if you're looking or you're, or you're dealing with smaller firms is you probably you know you might start off with say one or two partners. They're probably not in a position at the early stage. You know they may they they may have done their vision work. Let's assume that they've done their vision work and they've got a culture and they understand where they want to go to. And there's two of them and basically saying, well we can't afford at this point for one of us to be full-time visionary and the other one to be full-time manager because really we actually need to be getting the work done. What's your advice to people like that or partners like that who are thinking, well, yeah, I'd, I'd like to begin to do that, but I can't afford to do that at the moment. But I would like to think about how I can begin to divide my time or identify what I'm better at so we can begin to divvy up those roles between us knowing that they now need to be done. Yeah, I, I think to start with, there needs to be that clear delineation. And I, I think that needs to be between, the let's say, that, that example of the two-partner firm. You know, which roles are each of you going to take? Because there's no point in you both doing the same thing. We need to make sure that, that one's responsible for one, one's responsible for another. At that sort of size, I don't think you can go full-time managing partner and, and you know, chief executive or, or whatever those titles might be. You need to keep all the tools at, at that sort of size in a professional people business. But if you full-time are working in the business, you'll never get the opportunity to grow and you will pretty much always stay as a two-partner firm. You might employ a couple of assistants that that work with you, etc. You need to try and find that discipline to work on the business rather than in the business. And that's the danger, particularly for smaller law firms. It's all about hitting our fee income targets, delivering for our clients, which is great. That's what you need to do. But at some point, we need the discipline to be able to lift our heads up to start to work on the business because if we're just drawn into that rat race of always going around on that that uh, hamster wheel that's where we will be all of the time and i have these sort of conversations with with law firms all of the time and and it's about setting time aside in your diary it could be the same point every week where you know this is when i'm going to work on the business this is when i'm going to de- develop a strategic plan this is when i'm going to look at recruit this is when i'm going to look at opening in new areas or different work types etc and once you've got that in your diary, you've got to stick to it. So you, you're setting that that time apart. It could be that you get in touch with people like ourselves who might be able to facilitate the strategic discussions and actually force that to, to happen. Because sometimes when you actually bite the bullet and you make sure you invest in that program, you want to make best use of it. And you'll make yourself available to the time for, for a consultant to be able to support you. Um, it could be slightly larger firms than that. It could be maybe three to ten partner firms where you've got strategic away days and making sure they're in the diary, making sure that they are actually producing rather than just a nice time away to be able to bind the partnership, which is important, but you've got to make sure you've got something tangible coming out of that as well. And sometimes with that, you can bring along an external facilitator for the day, again, to make sure that what's coming out of it is actually the right sort of things for the business as you grow. But it's the main message there is don't just work in the business, work on the business as well. Yeah, it's a very good point. And I can see how that would cascade down from the vision, because if you have set your vision and you've set your ideals of law firm success as involving um, 
whether it's financial gain, whether it's also maybe a work-life balance, whether it's an ability to spend a bit less time on the tools and to work on growing the business and having discussed that, you would understand that, well, if we want to achieve this, I can't be on the tools full-time because, it, as you say, the business is never going to grow. And certainly in the, in the in some of the earlier podcasts that we've recorded, particularly with Stephen Gold and Greg White, who both built very successful firms, they were quick to point out that they were almost off the tools as soon as possible, not because they couldn't do it, just because they understood that their their skills lay within um, more sort of business development and creating relationships. And Greg didn't discuss this on the podcast, but I do know that one of his biggest successes that, that he attributes a lot of their overall success to is the strategic hiring of an operations director who has then helped them with the next stage, which is working out the process. Can we talk a wee bit more about that as that's the sort of next level down on the pyramid? Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of making sure that what we do, not not only for expansion purposes, you know, we talked there about the principles in the, in the E-Myth where you've got to have a standard way of working. You know, this projects a standard brand to the market, expectation from clients in terms of what they're going to, to receive, how and when. But it also helps us from a an efficiency perspective. It helps from a consistency perspective. It helps us to be able to grow because it means that the person that set up the business doesn't need to bring and oversee every single new recruit into the business all the way. You've got a standard way of, of doing things. And you know, ideally, that should be documented. Um, it should be mapped out. It should be reviewed on a regular basis to say, well, why do we do things in this way? As soon as you start to write things down and you speak to your teams about the way we do things, you start to identify where you've got, well, you're doing this over here, but you're doing it differently on there. Why do you do it in that way over here? Learning from them and thinking, ah, I can understand that now. I'll build that into my process. Or it could be that you're doing something that we don't need to do at all. Or it could be that you're doing something that technology could or automation could replace. Or it could be that you are doing something that, that we don't need to be doing at that particular level, but we might be able to do it at a more junior level, more cost-effectively. Once you've gone through that review process, you've then got the way to do it. And, and again, in the traction book, that is referred to as the way. Um, within answer what's we turn that into the AW way, for example. So we've got this set way of, of understanding this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do it, this is when we're going to do it, these are the tools that we're going to, to have as well. Now, it might be quite difficult, particularly in the law, where, where people say, well, that can't always be done because you've got so many different angles and so many different junctions that, that a case may, may turn, take litigation. We don't know how the other side's going to react. We don't know whether it's going to go to court or not. We don't know what information we're, we're going to have. We don't know whether our client wants to settle or go all the way. So there might be different junctions all the way, and it can get quite complex to map all of that out. But it usually pays huge dividends to be able to do that. And the answer there is to cut it down into the bite-sized chunks. What do we do up to the first potential junction? Once we've got there, once we've gone off a junction, what might happen for the next stage before we get to the next choice? So again, you, you, you're building this flowchart. Now, the, there are we, we, we don't do this. We, we help to develop that that process and, and document it, but we don't do it in a flowchart basis. But there are some consultants out there that will turn that into a flowchart. can be hugely powerful for you to be able to see that visually, particularly if you're part, part of a, a large organization to be able to, to communicate it. But it doesn't need to be that 
that formalized. It can be simplified. As long as you've got an understanding of what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, that then helps new recruits. We can come in seamlessly. This is how we do it. We've got a, a roadmap to, to be able to, to follow. And that feeds back into your point earlier on about working on the business as opposed to in the business. And I imagine you have seen it or dealt with it, the objections many times, which are, is along the line of, you know, I've got fee targets to meet. Yeah, I, I, I know. In, in fact, I was, I was doing the training course just yesterday for um, one of the, the, the largest law firms in, in, in the country. And and we were talking about process. We were talking about building it. And, and again, I was getting those exact responses. How are we going to find time to be able to justify doing it? Um, you know, my, my general response is, you know, if you don't find time, then you'll always be up against it because you'll be acting inefficiently and therefore you'll never have time to do anything. You've got to bite the bullet at some point to be able to say, how am I going to release that time to be able to use it more effectively? That requires an investment of time up front. But once you've done that, this should enable you to be far more efficient and therefore it releases time so you'll get that time back in the future. So it should pay for itself and, and the evidence is that, that, that it does. If people want to shortcut it, then it's not the ideal answer, but they can do, an easier way is potentially by going to, to your team and a lot of this should come from the team because we need to make sure they're involved in it so they buy into it. But you may be able to go to them and say, okay, through the work that we do, what are the cases where you have repetitive work that doesn't really add value, that's a pain in the neck to do, but you're having to do time after time after time. And you go and ask your team that, and they will come back to you with one or two or three examples of what they do in their day job all the time. You can start to, to, to work on that to start with. You then show a solution to that. You fix that particular issue. It might be by technology. It might be by automation, for example. We take that out of the equation, or it could be passing that bit back to the client. It could be a, a, a data portal where the client can actually fill in those information pieces for you instead of us rekeying time that then goes through all the rest of our software. So there's lots of solutions. And once you've seen that and you see the efficiencies that that brings, it actually creates the goodwill for people to think, well, actually, we've had a win here, an easy win. Let's sit down and invest the time in making sure we're doing that right away across the board. And I'm, I'm sort of conscious because we're sort of, reaching the limit of time that I'm doing the podcast and also what I, I'm really keen because this is really interesting and we've got three I think we've got the starter the first three points from traction it'd be good to cover the other two maybe at another time is because these ones seem to me like you talk about doing things chunk by chunk or bit by bit you know so you're not overwhelmed by everything that you have to do I think the establishment of a vision is a relatively straightforward exercise that people can carry out. Understanding more about yourself and your partners that you're in and who's interested in what and who's good at what. For example, you know, you talked about your colleague who's the chief executive is much more visionary. Now that's me. I like to think I'm a detail person, but then when I work with somebody who's properly detail oriented, I can see that I'm not. Um, and I understand now, having experienced that in my own business, how much value there is in that and around the correct management of people, the nurturing of people, appraisals, lanes, roles and responsibilities, how clarity doesn't particularly resonate hugely with me because I like things being a bit, um, not vague, but uncertain, you know, and maybe that's part of my mindset, whereas others like to be very, very clear as to what they need. Um, and I'd undervalued that. Um, and the the 
processifying to for, for for want of a better word of your work types and of your work and of in order to help you achieve your goals is again something that I think for lawyers initially they would be thinking oh that man that sounds like a lot of work whereas in reality by working on the business and by taking that time you've already gone two steps into it by taking the time then that's another step forward towards you achieving your goals for law firm success and so if we could leave data and management the management structure just for another another time Andy that would be great and instead if I can guess what you're going to say already but for the benefit of, of anyone listening because you'll have seen it a lot what what separates those that achieve success from those that don't um, yeah, I think it, for for me, it's those that have that clear um, clarity of thought that, that we've talked about all the way through and, and, and invest the time in getting these things right. Um, well, I, I think these sort of things are not easy to just implement. If it was, yeah, everybody would be doing it. Um, that means if you do put the hard yards in to implement it, you'll have some real tangible benefits you know we, we went through this ourselves as a firm a few years ago um, I can tell you it's absolutely transformed our firm for the better the firms that we help on law firms on on this journey have as well and I, I think for me it, it's biting the bullet it's it's lifting your heads up it's investing in your time and sometimes your money in terms of support you might need along the way in order to be able to to, to get those tangible benefits because once you've gone through it and everybody's used to this is our operating system, things will happen naturally. And there is a process around it to be able to make sure that it does happen and it's continually evolving and we're continually focusing on the right things, which then means that you're not pulling a million different directions. And once you've got this humming, you've got your set for future, you set for future growth and whatever you set as your measures of success, whatever you set as your vision, you are far more likely to be able to achieve that. Thank you very much, Andy. I know we didn't cover everything that time, but I think we've covered enough to get started. Um, where can people find out more about you and Armstrong Watson? Uh, thank you. I, mean, I was trying not to do anything as a, as a sales piece. I'm trying to provide information and referring to the books, which people can go and read and try to implement things themselves as well. And there's lots of principles you can take away. But if, if you do want to, to have a look, you know, Google Armstrong Watson, we're a top 30 UK accountancy firm. There's a, a, a page on our website that's dedicated to the legal sector. So again, if you search sectors and then legal sector, you'll be able to see the strategic support that we do. And there is a bit of a brochure there in terms of how we support firms along the lines of implementing traction as well. Um, but beyond that, if anybody just wants to, to, to pick up the phone, get in touch with me, um, you know, Google me, you'll be able to find the contact details on that. I'm always happy to have a conversation in terms of what are your strategic objectives? What are your challenges? What are you trying to get through? And because of our experience in the sector, hopefully we'll be able to point you in the right direction, even if you don't engage us to do anything more formally. Okay, brilliant, Andy. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. That's great. Thank you. Really nice to speak with you, Stephen. So thanks very much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're enjoying our content. We'd be delighted to hear any feedback that you have. You can find out more about the Your Law Firm Success podcast at mltdigital.co.uk forward slash podcast. Please subscribe. Please share with your friends. Please share with anyone who you know that you think would be interested.